welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary for Saturday the 23rd of September 2017. I've got writing progress to report to first of all today in that I wrote another 5,000, 5,089 words it was last Saturday. I hadn't told you about that at the time of the diary and that enabled me to finish off one fatal error. So the word count was 52,275 words and that's the total for the book and 5,089 written last Saturday. One fatal error is done. I know I expressed some concerns to you about the plot last week, a little bit jittery about finishing off the book, but actually it's funny, isn't it? When you're writing a book, you just have to say, well, what happens next? That's really all you've got to do when you get stuck. What would happen next? If I were in this situation, what would the opportunities be? In my case, it was a thriller. What could I do? How could I get out of it? And often the book writes itself. If you just ask yourself, what would happen next? Um, It gets you there, gets you where you need to be. And all those concerns I had last week were unfounded. Um, I was happy with how it went in the end. Why I was nervous, I had a lot of characters and they were kind of being held hostage in this situation. And I just felt like I'd abandoned them. But actually, at the end, I brought them all back in and resolved all those lines and it, and it worked fine. But just for a moment, though, I just felt like I'd been away from them just a little bit longer than perhaps I should have been. That's the third book of the year written. That's three down, one more to go if I hit my targets for this year. And it's interesting, in just a casual, uh, fun Twitter exchange, um, somebody that I know on Twitter has written a book about over 90,000 words. I think it's over 100,000 words, actually, well over 100,000 words. And I put what my word count was at 50, and he called me uh, a lightweight. And uh, it's absolutely true. I've never got over 100,000 words. I think I've done, I think it was about 92 for Don't Tell Meg in the first draft. It, it was boiled down considerably by the time it had been edited. So I think 92,000 is the most I've written up to. Um, but we, we had this exchange and I was saying, yeah, I am a lightweight because I've been writing at 50,000 words this year. But actually in that conversation, I made what's quite an important point that when you're writing books as an indie author, there's a certain length at which you can sell books for, for full price. And that is around the 50,000 word mark when you're writing a full length novel. And in terms of managing your time, in the time it takes you to write a 100,000-word novel, you can actually write two 50,000-word novels, and they will make you more money. So that's why this year, I may go back to writing longer novels, but my Don't Tell Megs, I wrote those. I don't think I was working full-time. No, I wasn't working full-time when I wrote those. So I was actually able to get more writing days in over a three-month period. They were still written over a three-month period. But when I went back to working three days a week, I had to make some decisions about the length of the books. So I, what I decided to do, certainly for, uh, for this year, it might change next year, but certainly this year, I needed to hit this critical critical mass with books. I specifically went for 50,000 because I can sell those books and I am selling those books at the moment uh, while I'm doing these Amazon Prime adverts at £4.99 a time. Sounds a lot, doesn't it, for a 50,000 word book, but people will pay that for a full length book. So strategically, in terms of how you manage your time, the length of the book, the money that you can make and the units that you produce... There is a case to say that maybe the book should be shorter. 
need to be novel length. When you're into short stories and, and novellas, you're into a different pricing strategy. But so long as they're novel length, which is 50 and above, you're pretty well good to to go to f- charge full price for those. So it's just something um, to consider. As I say, it was just a bit of fun uh, on Twitter, but it did make me think through that strategy and think, well, yeah, actually, writing more books at 50,000 is a way to make more money and get more units out. So just worth thinking about that uh, when you're thinking about the length of your books. Now, today, uh, five minutes ago, I finished editing my first series of chapters for one fatal error. So no sooner is the blasted thing written <laughs> that I got to get it edited and in fit shape to send over to Helen Fazal, who will give it a proper edit. So I'm going through it now. Now I know what all the plot is. I'm making these little twists and tweaks. And sometimes I lay little trails in a thriller that I don't need to pick up. So I get rid of them constantly while I write thrillers. I'm always leaving, uh, you know, we're sowing the seeds of doubt. Uh, about people and suspicion and then sometimes I I accentuate those and then sometimes I remove them because they didn't I actually didn't take them anywhere so that's my edit and I'm looking for spellings and I've worked through my wife's corrections as well um, so I did three chapters today um, again a little tip for you I used to rush at this and try and do it do too many chapters at once and what I do now now I've got a much greater sense of the rhythm and the way that I write and edit because I don't really enjoy editing I, I space it out. So I'm doing three chapters today. I've done three chapters today. I'm doing another, I'm doing four chapters tomorrow. And then the last three chapters of my next free day when I can sit down and just do it will be next Thursday. So one fatal error will be good to leave me to go to my editor uh, from next Thursday. And Helen's expecting it by the 2nd of October. I've, I've still got um, a couple of days at the weekend if I need it to to go through and rewrite. Now, again, I, I tend to write quite accurately. I'm going through the story and I'm reading trails I set and seeds that I set and thinking, oh, you know, good, great. I, I was kind of onto that that early in the story because you'll know that I'm, I am I am planning more nowadays, but I don't plan the whole book. I, I do like it to evolve as I go along. I find that a more exciting way to write. Um, so I do write, um, I do write quite accurately. And, and and that's true. Since I wrote uh, The Secret Bunker, I made a complete pig's ear off. The first book I ever wrote, uh, it was a complete mess. Well, uh, well, no, it's not fair to say it was a mess, but it was in terms of the tenses. And um, I had to do a lot of rewrites on The Secret Bunker, the first book I ever wrote. Um, and, and then subsequently, I kind of got it. I kind of felt that, that, that I'd got it uh, more. Now, you're never an expert. You're always getting better, hopefully. And then 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 having said that, the sixth book I wrote, which was The Grid 3, I had terrible struggles with the end of, of that book, with ending a trilogy. So the, my two most problematical books have been Secret Bunker 1 and The Grid 3. Other than that, the books have come fairly easily in terms of structure and continuity and all the, the bits of editors that pick out and find. So, so when I do an edit, although I'm all over the text and I'm, I am changing things, I'm not having to do this massive rewrite because I've generally got things in the right order and it's really just tweaks, uh, little adjustments on the rudder. That's usually generally all I need uh, when I come to write a story. So I've only had two that have created editing nightmares for me. Secret Bunker 1, it was my first book. I guess really you've got to travel that path before you just know better. Uh, and I just learned so much in that first book about tenses and chapter lengths and oh, all sorts of things I learned writing The Secret Bunker one. And then I had t- a terrible plot crisis with The Grid 3 
um, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't work it out. I, I can't, I'd written, I don't know how many words it was by that stage, nearly 150,000 words. And I just felt it, uh, it was, I thought it was all going to come crashing down around me because I just, I'd just been too clever for my own good and I couldn't sew it up and I had to leave it. I think we went away for Spain, to Spain for a month and I just thought I'm going to have to leave this and come back to it. And actually when I came back refreshed and I'd given it some distance, um, it came together quite well. I'd always, say to Helen Fazar, my editor, uh, that, that I was nervous about that book. And she, she always, she says she loves it. She likes the way it ends and she always loved it. So um, that that's good to hear. So you do run into scrapes occasionally. Um, I, I, I do run into to scrapes, but the edit on this is I, I'm okay with it. It doesn't feel like it's going to need um, a lot of work in spite of my doubts last week. I, I read chapters one to three, which I haven't looked at for a couple of months now since I started writing it. And I'm thinking, good, this is tight. I got this right. I got the characters right. Every, everything feels okay with this. So not a huge amount of work for me to do. Now, remember, this is just me tidying it up before Helen gets it. Helen's going to be all over it. She has it for a couple of months and then I get the last read of it. So it's still got a lot of things to go through yet before this is ready for publication. Okay, so <laughs> here I am, finish one book, edit, editing it, and beginning to think about the next book. And I was looking at my schedule the other day, and I've got it in front of me just here. And I think I was due to start writing the next book on the 5th and 6th of October. I looked at that the other day, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not ready to do it yet. I just need, um, I think Joanna Penn calls it palate cleansing time. I need some palate cleansing time in between the projects. So... I have bought myself some days before I start the next one. The next one is going to be a sci-fi, I think. It's going to be sci-fi or a thriller. I want to write two more. I want to write another standalone thriller. I know the title of the next standalone thriller, which is called Left for Dead. I've got the title. I know the theme of it, but I haven't put the flesh on the bones of that yet. So I could probably start to write that pretty quickly. But I want to write science fiction next. And I've got, um, how many ideas have I got? Two ideas. Uh, one, one is pretty well fleshed out. And then, and then the other one, um, well, I submitted it as a short story. So I know exactly where it's going. I've got character names and everything. I got about three ideas then that, that could come to. And what I, I next need to do is to sit down and I will open up a file in the novel factory, which is my favorite planning tool. And whenever I get into the novel factory and when I start to, to create my locations and I start to give people names and I find actors, that's when I get carried away with the book. And I, and I found that a really good process. You get better at this. Uh, uh, One Fatal Error is my, is it my 13th fiction book? I think it's my 13th fiction book. And you just hone your process. The more you do, you, you hone your process. And just as I said to you earlier, I'm getting better at editing. I know that I can't edit a lot at once. I have to keep myself fresh um, and not do it for a full day. I get very tired, get very bored easily with the editing. Um, so I, I got used to spacing that out now and giving myself time to, to, to refresh around it. I've also learned that to get to, to really get into the heart of my book, I have to go through this novel factory process. And I love it when I start to cast the characters and find famous actors who, who might be the characters in my book. I give them names and background and also with the locations. This last book I, book, I, I wrote, One Fatal Error. It's based around some forts in the Solent in the UK. And, um, and when I found, when I found that location, I'd been struggling with location. I got the story, but I was struggling with location. When I got the location, for that story. And I can't remember how I found it. I just stumbled across it. I thought, this is, this is it. I've got this now. And when I, when I got the location, I'd got the story and I was off with that. So I just generally need that wind behind me with a story. And I'm, I will start to flesh out 
the three story ideas I've got, but I, I do need to focus on science fiction. I want to do a, a standalone science fiction next, and then that will feed into the Secret Bunker trilogy and the Grid trilogy. But I want people to be able to engage with my sci-fi without them having to buy into a trilogy first. So I must write a standalone sci-fi next. So long and short of that is, I got to get um, my head down also while I'm <laughs> earning money for the day job and editing this book and getting it ready for Helen. I got to come up with the next story too. So it never stops. And I, I, I've, um, I sat down to do my planning. You'll know that we're reaching the end of a month next month, the, the end of quarter three. Uh, for me, I always plan in, in quarterly periods. So I've, I've, I'm, I'm fine tuning what I want to achieve in quarter four, the last quarter of this year. I've planned out my writing days. I've worked out when I've got to write. I've got quite a lot of leave to take. Um, funny thing is with my day job, when you work three days a week, you don't really need to take leave. Um, I know it's a funny thing to say, but I, uh, I work three days a week and I, or, or three days that I'm committed to a week and then pretty well the rest of my schedule. I work around uh, freelance work that I do, uh, tutoring work one-to-one with businesses, and I get my writing and my author business built in around that. So um, when I, whenever I come back to work on a Monday morning, I feel completely refreshed. It just it feels like I've never been at work because I've done so much in the meantime. And also this year with the kids getting older, we've been away a lot this year. So um, I just haven't taken any leave because I don't need it. Um, uh, I don't feel like I need a break um, this year. So I've got a lot of leave to use up in between now and Christmas. And I have a couple of um, foreign trips booked. Uh, in November, I'm taking my youngest son, something we've wanted to do for ages. We're going to Krakow and we're going to um, look at Auschwitz. We're going to go to a trip to Auschwitz. My youngest son is really interested in history. Um, so very, very keen to make that trip. And um, also I like to, um, because of the way the family's gone now, we used to go away when I was in internet marketing, we'd book a villa for a month over Christmas and New Year in Spain and, and, and take the kids out of school. I know evil parents and all of that and, and, and spend a month in Spain. Well, we can't do that now just because of the configuration of what kids are doing, exams and all of this sort of stuff. Um, but I still like to get my, my winter sunshine. So I will be going out to, well, I'm flying into Alicante. I think I'm going to stay around Benidorm, um, just before Christmas, but just to get my, my winter sun which I've got used to since um, I haven't been doing a five-day-a-week uh, day job. Um, so i got to fit all these things in. Um, have an oldest child um, leaving home on Sunday to go to university. Uh, those of you who've been through this will know how difficult this weekend will be. Those of you who've got tiny kids and you, and you can't see a, a future when you won't have tiny kids who are dependent on you, it, it passes all too fast. And before you know it, you're crying because your kids are going off to university. Well, you know, I don't want to lose my oldest to university, but I know that time has come. We've got another one going next year. So we're in that zone. Uh, All of this writing is about creating the life that I want when the kids have gone. So all these things kind of tie together in this big universe kind of way. I can't even remember what I was talking to you about now. (laughs) But you you get the gist of that. Oh, that's right. I was talking about quarter four. Um, to so there's a lot of leave for me to take so um and my wife has also um uh, nipping off to berlin for a week too we've got we've we've gone completely over the top we've got too many little fraud trips um uh, arranged in this quarter uh to to, to to accommodate that my writing time is going to be quite squeezed if i'm going to get a sci-fi book out before christmas i've really got to stick to my writing days and be very very uh, disciplined about my writing in quarter four Okay, so um, I got a, a nice uh, message from um, a lady this week um, who, who, who I don't know, 
uh, yet, uh, but it's nice to meet you, Joanna. Uh, not Joanna Penn, I, I hasten to add. Um, and she just uh, contacted me via my help desk to say, I was wondering if you could do a discussion about how you plan your year. It sounds like you have a robust progression. How do you balance your nonfiction and fiction? And how long do you give yourself to write an entire book? Um, and, and so uh, I got back to Joanna with uh, an answer to that and, and sent her some resources. I've done a time management presentation for the Alliance of Independent Authors. If you just look up in Google, Paul Teague, Time Management Ally or Alliance of Independent Authors, that will come up in the search engines. Um, and, and those of you who listen to this diary will know that I I chop up the year into quarters. So as I just mentioned earlier, we're coming to the end of quarter three, moving into quarter four. I have um, short-term planning goals and long-term planning goals over the year. I'm already beginning to plan into quarter three, four, uh, sorry, into quarter two, three, I beg your pardon, in 2018. So I'm always thinking ahead with my planning. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to give some little bits of detail about that because my year is, is divided into four. I work on a quarterly planning basis. I put my big goals onto those quarters. And then each week I have a planning sheet. You can hear it here. That's my planning sheet. My planning sheet, would you believe, sometimes I feel a bit embarrassed about admitting this actually, but my planning sheet at the moment is printed out till April because I'm already thinking ahead to the end of March. My last booked event, I have a, uh, an author event on the 9th, 10th and 11th of March. It's Crime and Publishment in Gretna Green. And I also have my next book uh, writing days, all my writing days penciled in to the end of March. And this, frankly, is how the work gets done. You've got to plan it. Um, and I have a little a little quote on my planning sheet, my weekly planning sheet from a guy called Robin Sharma, who I love to listen to. And he says, do it now, sometimes later becomes never. Um, and I, I have that on the planning sheet because you've got to plan stuff. You've got to plan stuff. If you don't plan stuff, it'll always become later, not now. So I have the, the quarterly planning. I have the weekly planning sheet. And basically on the weekly planning sheet, I always put my three days uh, in the day job in there and then I've got four other days that I then have flexibility with and then I feed down if I want to know what I should be doing next I always look at the quarterly planning board because those are the priorities those are the things I need to be working on um so that's that's how the 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 year is planned in terms of fiction and non-fiction um I I wrote I think I wrote the secret bunker and the grid and then I I probably realized that it was hard to market those. I had a lot of knowledge in internet marketing. So I very quickly wrote seven non-fiction books on email marketing, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, ooh, author platforms, whatever whatever the other ones were as well, webinars. Um, so I, I did those books. I produced them very quickly. They were about 30,000 words long. And it was basically very different from writing fiction. It was really just getting that knowledge out of my head and structuring it. Um, but I did those books because... Um, non-fiction is very keyword based it's very it's a very easy it's much easier to sell um, non-fiction books so I did that really so that I could demonstrate success all those books got into the top of the free charts and have been there several times I did that so I could demonstrate a level of success which would then allow me then to be able to stand up and talk to people about self-publishing and my my pitch as a as a paid talker about self-publishing is I, I can't tell you yet, I'm working on it as you know, I can't tell you yet how to make zillions and zillions of sales. I'm working on that. 
but I absolutely can tell you how to do many, many things that a lot of people who start self-publishing don't even know where to begin. So I've published on all the outlets, Draft the Digital, Google Play, everything. I've published on all the outlets, done paperbacks on uh, Create Space, on Ingram Spark. I've hard-coded these things. I've done them through Vellum. So I've got a lot of experience in getting the books out there and making sales. So my pitch is when I do talks, um, I can show you how to get the self-publishing done. And I can show you how to get to the top of the free charts with fiction and nonfiction. Um, I know how to do all of those things. And I can show you, I can guarantee that you will start making some sales. And that's what I can promise. I can't promise that you will make lots of sales. And I can't promise that I can show you how you will make, um, you know, thousands of pounds because I'm not there yet. So that's my kind of pitch with this. And that's why I did the, the non-fiction basically. So I could, I could demonstrate a certain level of excess to give me a remit to do that. So how long do I give myself to write an entire book? Well, that depends how much time I've got. So I wrote my Don't Tell Meg trilogy, which were all written to 90,000 words. Uh, they were all written within a period of three months. I write books at the rate of 5,000 words per writing day. So every writing day that I schedule, uh, it's 5,000 words. So a 90,000 word book is um, 15 days. Is that right? Yeah, uh, 18 days. <laughs> I've got the calculator out here. So 90,000, let's do the math, share 5,000 equals eight. That's 18 days, Paul. So it takes me 18 days to write a 90,000 word book. And it takes me 10 days, 10 writing days to write a 5,000 Word book. Now, since I've been working three days a week for somebody else, I've had to reduce the number of days that I write. So I've reduced my book length to 5,000 while I'm working three days a week. But when I had more time, um, it was 18 days uh, writing at 5,000 words per day over an 18 day period. And it takes me one hour to, <laughs> to write 1,700 words. So I write three lots of 1,700 words in a day's writing and I have a short break of a quarter of an hour in between writing sessions. That's how formulaic it is for me. It's completely formulaic for me. When I write 50,000 word books, by I write, um, I write one chapter a day. One chapter is about 5,000 words long and each chapter has about three sections, which are 1,700 words long. Okay, that, that's how formulaic I am when I write my books. It's completely formulaic. And then you might get a prologue or an epilogue um, added onto that at the beginning and the end. But that's how I write my books. Completely formulaic, completely um, completely timed, completely uh, mapped out. That makes me sound like a robot. The stories are robotic in any way. And you'd never sense that if you read the book. But that's how I do the writing. So, Joanna, I hope that's a little bit more detail for you. I hope that's um, useful for you. And if you keep listening to the diaries, you'll hear all this stuff drip out week by week by week as I give you an insight into how I do the writing. Lots of news for you again this week. And I just wanted to give you an insight into something I'm half planning for half term, which begins um, about 23rd of October. Um, so what are we about? Well, it's about a month's time. This is when I'll be writing my next book, which hopefully will be a science fiction book. And uh, this is when my wife's in Berlin for the week. So um, I'm going to be home for that week, um, looking after the, the, the two children who are still at home. Not that I need to look after them, but I'll be around anyway. And I thought during that week, this would be a really interesting experiment for me to write every day that week, four or five days. Just depends how I organise my leave and things like that, but it's going to be four or five days. And what I thought of doing as a special project that week um, my dream, and we all dream of this, is being able to write full time and make a living from it. And so 
what I would like to do ideally is I'd like to do what the guys at self-publishing podcasts do, which is they write um, every day of the every weekday. So with my writing schedule, that would mean I was writing 5,000 words a day, 25,000 words a week, which would be a short novel every fortnight. It would certainly be a, a decent sized novel every month. So if I were able to write every day, I'd probably aim to do um, one a month. That's probably what I'd aim for. And maybe nine over the year, something something like that, nine or 10 over the year. Um, and, and that's what I'd do if I was writing full time. And then I, so I do that in the morning and then I do marketing and the other stuff in the afternoon. And I just thought, well, it, wouldn't that be interesting? Cause I've got this week at home and my wife's away and I could just lock myself in the study. Wouldn't it be interesting to see what that would be like to work at that rate through a week? And also for the reasons I've told you about me going off on Jolly's left, right and center over the next, um, three months, um, I got to find the writing days and that's a great way for me to do the writing. So. I'm, I'm not committing to it. Yeah, I'm half committing to it. It's, I'm probably going to do it. But over that half term, I'm probably going to do like a writing marathon over the week, 5,000 words a day for at least four days. I think it's going to be four days rather than five. And I'm going to do a diary about it every, every day. So you'll have a run of diaries over that week. And basically you'll hear me in the morning before I do the writing. If I need to say anything during the writing, if I'm having problems, I'll, I'll talk to you during the writing. And then I'll tell you, I'll do a diary after the writing to tell you how it's gone, what the disturbances were, how long it took me to do the writing, whether I'm struggling with the ideas. But I wanted to put my money where my mouth is because we often say, oh yes, I'd love to be a writer full-time, lovey. And actually the reality of that might not be so attractive. It might actually be better for me to do it as I do it, to have a day job that brings the money in and then to do the writing on the sidelines. So I thought this is a great opportunity to see whether this is what, what I really want. It's funny, one of the taglines for my latest books is be careful what you wish for. And so I thought, well, let's see if what I'm wishing for is a, a good aspiration because maybe it's not. Maybe I don't want to write like that all the time. So just to let you know, that's an idea that's in the pipeline. And uh, I'll let you know in a week or two whether that's going to happen. But it will mean that you get slightly more diaries over the course of a week. And they really will be writing diaries uh, over the course of that week. Uh, something else I've been working on this week is the Burden of Guilt book, which I've just written, is uh, based in Scotland. Uh, it's a lovely area. I went there with some friends when I was a teenager. When my wife and I got married, we went up there for honeymoon. It was around Fort William and Glenfinnan and, and, and Speedbridge. I loved it. I loved it the minute I saw it when I was a kid. And we've been up there with the kids and I, I just adore the area. And so I wanted to set a book and a story up there because I know it well. And so uh, Burden of Guilt is, is starts in London, moves up on the Caledonian Sleeper to Fort William, and then it, it takes place in the surrounding area. And one of the things that's worked really well for me with The Secret Bunker is getting my Secret Bunker books stocked in the, the bookshop uh, of the real Scotland Secret Bunker. And they buy books 50 at a time and they sell them all through the summer. And it's a very happy pleasant working relationship. It's, it allows me to sell more paper book, paperback books than I probably would in any other way. And um, so in, in Burden of Guilt, I mentioned a cafe. There's a cafe where we used to go there. Uh, it was a little chef. And, and then uh, when I went there with the family last time, it was closed down, which was sad to see. It, it was one of these buildings that quite clearly was a little chef. They've got a very distinctive architectural style. And then I just, when I was doing the research, I saw that the somebody's bought that cafe. It's called the Bridge Cafe in Speed Bridge now. And somebody's bought it, done it up. It looks wonderful. And it's lovely to see that cafe because it's a great 
setting um, is now being used. And so I used it in my book. Um, and in the book, um, it's somebody going back to where they went as a as a teenager when they were students. And uh, they went to the, the cafe when it was a little chef. And it's just I just needed a meeting place. And they, they have a meeting in this cafe. So I thought, well, um, I'm missing a trick here. If I don't let these people, it's very complimentary about the cafe. There's no deaths in there or anything like that. You know, it's, it's just a, a location. And I thought, well, um, that's great for tourists. So I've made them. I've used Canva to make a poster that uh, advertises the book and says uh, there's a scene set in this cafe in the book. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send them five copies. I'll I'll take the I'll pay for them and send them a nice poster which will be laminated so they can hang it up and say to them, look, here's five books. You can sell them for six quid a time. You keep the profits from that. And if they sell and people are interested in it, let me know and let's come to an arrangement and I'll start selling you books at cost price and you can start putting them in the cafe and I also did a different version of the poster because I'm also going to talk to the tourist information people at Fort William and I don't, I'm not quite sure what else there is at Speedbridge yet but I'm, I'm just going to see if I can get it in the locality that the book set so I'll, I'll let you know how that goes when I when I wrote to the secret bunker people I was really nervous basically telling them that I'd written a book that was based on the bunker because number one if the book's rubbish <laughs> they might be completely embarrassed by it and not want you to do it Fortunately, the lovely people at the Secret Bunker, they embraced it fully and continued to support me. And I'm grateful for that. But, you know, there always is this risk that they say, we don't want a book where somebody gets murdered at a local monument. We don't want a book like that round here. And I'd hope, I'd hope people wouldn't be like that. I mean, if you look at, is it Ian Rankin? All the people who write about Scottish and what, what does J.K. Rowling write her thrillers about? You know, a setting could be really fantastic for, for visitors and for the local economy so I'm just hoping that these fall on the desk of the right person who has that um you know that rich mindset where they see the possibilities rather than saying oh no don't advertise us so fingers crossed I'll let you know how that goes if a little bit of tumbleweed blows across the room that I might have to change the name of the cafe or something like that but uh, I'll let you know how it goes I did also mention that I was taking part in a uh a free book giveaway a couple of weeks ago. I meant to update you on this last week and I forgot. I apologize for that. It was a sci-fi and fantasy giveaway. And if you can remember this far back in your busy life, I'd said that there were over a hundred people taking part and I didn't have very high hopes for it. I think sometimes these giveaways from my experience of hosting them, you want to have no more than 3035 in a giveaway or it just becomes so diluted. It's meaningless. And, and that was my experience of this giveaway. I got barely any signups. I wasn't giving away a full book. I was only giving away a 10% sample because of restrictions with KDP Select. I got barely any signups and frankly, it wasn't really worth my while. So um, if you are taking part in giveaways, my top tip to you is never get involved in giveaways where there are too many books. Always look for giveaways. You, you've got to have a kind of critical mass because most of these authors are not huge authors. Um, so if you only had five or 10, you're probably not going to get any signups that way. But I have found the sweet spot. I'll share this with you. When I was hosting the giveaways, the sweet spot for me was about 35, 35 people, loads and loads of signups. We were getting about seven, 800 signups uh, each. Some people were getting a thousand from that um, uh, and it didn't dilute it. So it worked really well for everybody. It's funny how things happen when you're an author. I was, I can't even remember how I found it. Oh, I know, I was listening to the self-publishing podcast and they had some English guys on there who are working in a in a cooperative like the self-publishing podcast guys do. And these guys were English. And so I particularly clocked them thinking, oh, that's interesting. A group of four guys writing together as a story shop sort of consortium in the UK. I need to get to know these guys and check them out. And so I checked out their podcast, which is called the Story Studio Podcast. It's now another podcast I'm going to recommend to you because it's good and it's on my list now and 
they were interviewing in, in the podcast episode that I listened to, Monica Leonel. Now, I've got two stories to tell you here. Number one, I've, interv- I've, I've invited uh, Dan Wilcox, who's one of the guys who runs the Story Studio podcast. I'm interviewing him next week because um, these guys, I've never, never heard of them before. They weren't in my circle or any of the groups I'm in. And the minute I see somebody who's interesting, doing great stuff, I want to reach out to them and connect with them. So Dan is joining me on the podcast. Um, he'll, you know, he's, he's, episode will be on in a couple of weeks time but I'm interviewing him next week now when I was checking out Dan's podcast uh, they had as their guest Monica Lionel it's like happy indie author families this isn't it and and Monica I'd, I'd heard Monica on other podcasts but this is the best interview I've heard with Monica because what I didn't realize is that she does non-fiction stuff and uh, uh, brilliant non-fiction stuff and that she comes from a, a marketing background and uh, Dan uh, was talking to her about um, a book called Prosperous Creation, where she has this thing called the hierarchy of prosperous creation. And and let me tell you, when I, when I heard this, I went straight out and bought the audio book when, when they were discussing it, because this is the most compelling and workable strategy that I've seen for new authors since I've been doing this game. Now, our brains are all wired in different ways, so this might not work for you. But the, the minute they started talking about it, it, it just piqued my interest. I got the audiobook. I've been listening to the audiobook while I've been exercising this week. I always have audio on when I'm walking into work. You know, whenever I'm in transit, I have audio on so I can learn. And, um, I've been listening to this audiobook and I got, you know, a couple of chapters into the audiobook. I went and bought the paperback because it's one of those audiobooks that is so packed with stuff that you cannot just listen to it. You've got to have a, a book, a guidebook to, to underline and make notes in. Brilliant, brilliant book from Monica Leonella and her non-fiction, you know, again, because she's not really on my radar because what she writes as fiction is not really the sort of stuff that I'm interested in. So I've, I've been aware of her, but I, I didn't know she did this stuff. So um, I've immediately, of course, invited Monica onto the podcast. I want to just talk to her. I have to get her back a second time probably to do the author thing, but I just want to talk to her about this hierarchy of prosperous creation. It is the most uh, compelling roadmap I've ever heard for mapping out your author career as an indie. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Really strong. Um, so I bought straight into it. I bought another one of her nonfiction books as well. And I'm even considering the mastermind too, but I'm going to get her onto the podcast because I wanted to share this with you. I am so uh, c- compelled by it. And um, I, I, I've been, a, like most of us probably, you know, tired of the marketing stuff, but listening to this audio completely has reinvigorated my my interest and my understanding of, of, of the marketing principles. So you don't hear me um, get excited about things that often, uh, not to this extent, but I am highly recommending this to you. Uh, it is called um, Prosperous Creation. Uh, I bought the audio book. To be honest with you, if you buy the audio book, you'll end up buying the book as well. Uh, so you might just go out and buy the paperback book. Don't buy it on Kindle either. You need the paperback book to scribble in the highlight stuff. It's packed with, with just great marketing information. And hopefully, uh, I haven't heard back from Monica yet, but hopefully she'll come on the podcast to talk to us about that. And um, uh, listening to that book has made me think, come on, Paul, you've got to do the marketing, do the marketing. So I went through my schedule up to Christmas, and this is why I'm tighter with the writing time. And I have, um, in between now and Christmas, I have freed up 10 days for me to work through the principles in Monica's book and to make sure I'm I'm on this, on the case. You know, I keep saying to you, I've got to do the marketing. I'm going to work through. So I'm doing the Amazon ads thing that Brian Meeks is talking about, I'm committed to that. And then I'm also going to do what I'm 
doing with Brian Meeks's um, Amazon ads. I'm also going to work through Monica's stuff and really try and get my marketing ship shape. But I highly commend both of them to my Monica Lionel, Brian Meeks's book. They've really reinvigorated me and feel like I can really push to the next stage with this now. And of course, you'll hear all about it on this podcast. I uh, interviewed Lucy Branch this week. Uh, Lucy is on the podcast on the 23rd of October. And uh, Lucy's fascinating. She's a conservator. She, um, she, she renovates and preserves statues. And all these posh statues, Eros, uh, Nelson's Column, all these famous statues, and obviously not all famous statues, uh, less famous statues. Um, she, she does all the restoration work on them. Abs- absolutely fascinating job. And she lets that feed into her fiction. Now, what I didn't realize about Lucy until we were talking is she's had phenomenal success with her fiction. Her first book, she, she did it through one of these sort of hybrid, um, publishing companies. Um, and she wouldn't tell me what the publishing company was because I think they'd had some toing and froing with it. Um, but it's one of these companies that self-publishes a book for you. They do the editing for you and they, they get the nice cover on for you. So it looks fantastic. So it's kind of like, it's almost like being a traditional author, but it's not because you pay them a fee for that. And then you get to keep the royalties. And Lucy was just explaining to me, absolutely phenomenal. She shifted thousands of books because being with this particular uh, publisher, she managed to get um, Amazon deal of the days and things like that. And she, she's also had book bubs in the past. And she said, I shifted way more books, get these Amazon deals of the day. So she's gone through a first book experience of being an indie author and shifting thousands of books and seeing the sales pour in. But when she then went indie, genuinely indie and started publishing the books for herself, of course, those sales stopped. And she's where the rest of us are now, which is writing the books and trying to sell the darn things fascinating story, brilliant work that feeds into her books. And that interview's coming up on 23rd of October. And interestingly, um, Lucy had booked a, a consultation session with me um, t- to share what I know about how to produce a podcast. And we were talking for about an hour, an hour and a half. I was letting Lucy know about my whole process, how I produced the podcast. And I, I was saying to her, I didn't realize there was so much involved in all of this, actually. I just do it automatically. And uh, I, I really ought to do a short course on how I produce this podcast or maybe a book about that. So that's that's one that's on the back burner for now. This is a real long end. I'm sorry about this. If, if you're pushed for time when you're listening to this, I, I'll wind up now. I did just meant, want to mention a couple of people who'd reached out on Twitter. Now, uh, it's worth checking my at Paul Teague UK Twitter profile because uh, Jeff Smith tweeted me on, I think it was Saturday, who said, I'm about to listen to Paul Teague's podcast diary in the bath. More pictures to follow. And there's a picture of Jeff there with the bath run, just ready to jump into the bath. So that that made me laugh. And I, I didn't know Jeff before. Uh, Jeff writes uh, fiction. Uh, so it's always great when new authors reach out to me and I didn't know they were listening to the podcast. And um, there's a little sequence of pictures that Jeff said of listening to me <laughs> in, the, in the bath, <laughs> which is which is great. So um, it, people listen in all sorts of different places. So thanks ever so much, Jeff, and, and great to to make contact with you on Twitter. It's always brilliant to find out who's listening to the podcast. And also Tim Lewis, who's a regular uh, listener to this show and has been a guest on this show too. Uh, Tim presents the Begin Self-Publishing podcast. I I always want to big that podcast up because I enjoy listening to it so much. Uh, Tim hosts that podcast, but he sent me another picture of his Saturday walk. And the previous week had been pouring with rain, but Tim had got good weather for his walk while he was listening to the podcast. And it actually looked like a lovely woodland walk. And of course, the leaves in the UK are just turning into those beautiful autumn colours. So it is a lovely time of the year in the UK to start going for those lovely walks. 
Okay, that is it for me. If you are listening to the, this podcast right now and you haven't reached out to say hello to me yet, just get your, get your phone, lift it up, take a picture, tweet it to me, and let's see where you're listening to the podcast because it's great to see where you are all over the world. Coming up on Monday, well, I don't really need to do give an introduction to this guest. I'm talking to Joanna Penn on Monday's podcast. And uh, Joanna reached out to me and said, can I come on the podcast? Because I know she's got this campaign to, to get on as many podcasts as, as possible. And I'd always said when I started this podcast that I wasn't going to interview what I call, I don't mean this rudely at all, but the usual suspects. Those of you who listen to lots of writing podcasts will know that there are a certain number of people who do the rounds and they usually appear on everybody's podcast that week where they got something to sell. And I, and I don't want to become one of those podcasts where you hear the usual suspects coming on selling their latest book. I didn't want to turn into that kind of podcast. So um, but, but when Joanna reached out to me, I thought, well, you can't say no to Joanna Penn, can you? And I've got lots of questions that I want to ask her that other people won't ask her. And I'm really pleased that I did because, um, we had, as, as you do as an interview, you have the conversation that you want to have with the guests and ask the questions you want to ask. And I found out stuff about Joanna that I didn't know. And also I've dug much deeper into her. The, the things that didn't work for her and the, the pain spots in her career. And, and I learned something about her, lots of things about her that I didn't even know. So um, I would urge you to catch Joanna's interview. That's coming up on Monday, episode 82 of Self-Publishing Journeys. That's Monday, the 25th of September, 2017 with Joe Anna Penn. That's it. I've got lots of editing to do. You've no doubt got editing or writing to do. I hope you have a fantastic week of writing and I'll speak to you next Saturday. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.